This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. It's a Guy Jeans podcast. My next guest is Dave Stewart from the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. If you guys have never listened to the Wet Fly Swing Podcast, go to wetflyswing.com and check out everything that Dave has to offer. He has uh, almost 500 episodes of all kinds of people from all over the country, all about fly fishing, where to go, techniques, tricks, all that kind of stuff. You guys have got to check his podcast out. It's pretty awesome. On this podcast, we talk about Dave and growing up in the Oregon area and all the rivers that he fishes, including the Deschutes for steelhead. We talk about steelhead fly fishing techniques and what they do over there on the Deschutes. We also talk about his business and podcasting and what it takes to be a podcaster and give some great advice for podcasting and just starting out with a podcast. So without further ado, Mr. Dave Stewart. Dave, how you doing? Guy, I'm doing great, man. This is I'm glad you were able to put this together. It's been a while. Yeah, I mean, I, last time I was on your podcast, I think maybe a year ago or so. I'm not sure. Can you remember how long ago that was? Uh, you know, I don't have it right in front of me, but I think it was something <laughs> like that. Yeah, I think it was uh, 22 for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for being on my podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. I've been uh, following you out there, and I'm just looking at it now. <laughs> I think it was Kern River Fly Fishing with Guy Jean. It was uh, uh, May 31st, 2012. Yeah, so it's been over a year, 2022. <laughs> wow, crazy, man, how time flies, huh? Yep. Dude, I got, I'm going to ask you, uh, you know, about your, you know, fly fishing history and stuff like that, but I also want to get into business and podcasting and all that because you're an inspiration for sure. Um, but let's talk about, like, your, your childhood. Like, were you raised in a fly shop? Yeah, yeah. So I started out um, back in the day. This goes way back. My dad had a shop. Actually, before I was born, he started in the garage, one of those stores. Oh, no way. By the time, yeah, by the time I was, oh, you know, a little kid, I think he opened in 75. And so I grew up around the shop, you know, pretty much that's where I lived. If I wasn't at home or playing baseball, I was at the shop tying flies. And just so, yeah, that was years, you know, I was in that shop and eventually, um, you know, during the 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 remember the 2008, the shop closed up during that period of time when a lot of the businesses went down. And from there, 
yeah, it just, it, you know, I eventually got into this thing I'm doing now, which I can tell you more about that as well. Dude, my, uh, my little, uh, girls, my daughters grew up in the fly shop, like a crib, at, crib in, <laughs> yep. right by the cash register, you know, <laughs> same thing. Yeah, for sure. man. So were That's you tying cool. flies as a little kid? Yeah. I mean, no you know, pretty much we were, you know, we've got uh, photos of me sitting there at the sportsman shows, you know, sitting there tying flies when I was probably five or six, you know, just right in front of all the, you know what I mean? It's kind yeah. of funny to think now because my kids aren't quite as, you know, they tie flies, but they're not, I don't think they're quite at the level I was at when I was like seven or eight or whatever. But um, yeah, yeah, man, I've been tying my whole life. I, you know, fly tying is one of those things where I tied commercially for, you know, my dad for a long time and I just kind of got burnt out from it. So I sure. don't tie that much anymore. So I'm more, more fishing now, but yeah, I still love tying the occasional fly. Was that in uh, Oregon? Yeah. Yeah. So you, yep. you grew up fishing the, the Deschutes and then probably were you trout fishing or steelhead fishing up there? Yep. Yeah. A little both. Yeah. The shop was actually just on the outskirts of Portland. So it was one of the earliest fly shops. It might've been the first fly shop in Portland. I can't remember, but yeah, huh. it was just the perfect timing. And then, so my dad would do trips on the Deschutes a lot. So we would, you know, pretty much every summer times I would be out in the river all summer, just fishing, helping my dad with guiding and stuff. And I pretty much grew up on the Deschutes steelhead and, and trout. How, how, how long did your dad have a fly shop in Portland and what was the name of it? It was called, uh, well, it had to, the original name was Stuart Custom Tackle. So way back in the day, you know, I think when he opened it, 75 or whatever, it was Stuart Custom Tackle. Eventually he changed it to Stuart's Fly Shop. And nice. it was just a little tiny fly shop on the outskirts. But yeah, I think, you know, 75 through, I want to say, gosh, it was probably open for 35, 40 years, something like that. Wow, man. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah, going with my fly shop. I'm going on uh 21 years. So man, having one for, oh, wow. four, for, for 40 years, that's a long time, yeah. man, for sure. <laughs> yeah. 20 years is a lot too. Yeah. So tell me about the Deschutes, man. Was that, is that your like fishery that you grew up fishing or did you fish around Portland? Yeah, we pretty much everything. I mean, the Deschutes was really cool for those that don't know the Deschutes. Um, and the nice thing is, you know, Oregon, you know, kind of similar to California and some of these other West Coast streams is you got this, you know, cascade, these mountain ranges that break up the West from the East side. So, you know, we just hop over from Portland in an hour and a half and you're on the East side in the desert. Yeah. And the Deschutes is just cutting its way for 200 miles through the basically the desert. And it's this amazing tailwater fishery. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we have lots of waters, you know, on the coast for steelhead um, up and down the coast. And, you know, even around Portland and Washington, I mean, there's all sorts of these famous rivers that a lot of people have probably heard of for steelhead. So I think west side, it was always steelhead, winter steelhead, and then east side, trout fishing on the Deschutes. And, you know, there's a lot of other rivers that people would probably know about around Oregon, but, but that's pretty much what we did, you know, throughout the year is guiding in the summers and then, you know, winter time kind of in the shop. Where, where are you now? Uh, I'm actually on the coast. So I'm uh, like two hours West of Portland. Oh, okay. Just if you go, if you go from Portland, go directly West into a little tiny town, kind of in the Halem area. All right. Um, I live right on the banks of a, well, not on the banks, but close enough within a few minutes of a, yeah. kind of a few famous winter steelhead rivers. Nice, man. My uh, dad, um, lived in McMinnville in the Sheridan mm -hmm. area. Do you know that area? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, we, you know, I'd go up there and fish the, the Willamette, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. In, in that zone and kind of fish yeah. all around in there. That was a lot of fun, but dude, yeah. I, I fished, um, I fished the Umqua, I fished the, McK yep. the McKenzie, the Rogue, um, the one thing that I haven't done is fish for smallmouth in the lower Umqua, I think it is. 
Yeah. Have you done that? Fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. The, the, um, you know, the river, I, I talked about the Deschutes because that's the river I think about a lot, but I mean, the Rogue is definitely one of my favorite, you know, rivers, uh-huh. the, the wild and scenic river section is amazing. And yeah, the Umqua, of course, the North Umqua is famous, you know, for steelheading and, and yeah. the Umqua itself, a lot of people outside don't know, but it has great bass fishing, like really great smallmouth fishing. Do the bass, and, uh, do the bass get um, a pretty good size in the lower there? You know, I've, I haven't really gone like specializing in it, so I yeah. don't totally know. I mean, I know that there, we caught some nice fish, but I'm not sure the site, and I'm not even sure who would be a good resource to look at that river because I know there's a few shops, but yeah, yeah. we, I mean, just like smallmouth, I mean, super aggressive and just having fun on a, you know, 90, hundred degree day floating down the river and catching bass left and right is kind of, it was more a little bit of a river trip mixed with some bass fishing on the fly. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's another one, uh, in Oregon, the Grand Ronde. Have you done that? Yeah. So the Grand Ronde, that one is known for steelhead. I haven't done, I mean, I've been in that area and done a little bit of fishing, but really haven't done the big, the wilderness, like the steelhead stuff that goes on over there. Yeah. That's, that's the trip I would be doing. If I was setting one up, I'd do a float trip down the Grand Ronde and hit some, you know, hit the steelhead in the right time. It's crazy, man, how many rivers there are in that area. (laughs) I know. I know. I forget about it because you guys, I mean, where you're at too. I mean, well, I tell you what, doing this podcast you know now that we've done like 500 episodes or pretty right. close to coming up on that yeah i mean i've i've had episodes in every state right. right and i'm realizing that you know it doesn't matter what state it is it could be you know you name it, indiana there's yeah. going to be some fishing and i think that's yeah. what's exciting for me because although i love steelhead fishing in oregon i mean there's all these other places that we love and in fact i'm setting up a trip right now to the great lakes to fish for steelhead out of lake erie you know oh. so even steel even though they're a west coast species you know the great lakes is an yeah. amazing resource for for steelheading that's what i hear man i wanted to ask you a question about the deschutes too is um i remember uh i was uh i was trying out for uh, team usa in mm. um in the town there that's kind of by mopping um ben yeah ben Ben's, Ordered. yeah ben, ben. And, uh, and they had us fishing, um, the crooked river, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. Um, they had us fishing a couple of lakes, East Lake and, and another, yep. and another lake, um, over there. Um, uh, and then, uh, what was the other one that's right there? There's another river that's right, uh, right through there. Another lake. There's no, bunch, another, yeah, another, right. another river that was, uh, um, oh, river. There's the Metolius. Metolius. Yeah. Metolius. Yeah. yeah. It was awesome, man. Just in that zone right there. It was just unbelievable. But yeah. I, I, well, I, you just named the three, you just <laughs> named the three rivers that make up the Deschutes, the Metolius, the Crooked River and, and Deschutes, upper Deschutes all come together to make the main stem to Deschutes. Oh, is that right? So yeah. I remember that, um, we went down and, uh, and fished the Deschutes, you know, just on our own. And I remember hearing something like you can't fish while floating or something like that is that right is that true that's right yes so the shoots is one of those rivers there's not i don't know how many of there are in the country but there's no floating out of a boat any sort of a boat and i am i don't know the whole history but basically it started because you know there's a lot of opportunities for steelhead especially but trout as well where if you had a boat you could just basically target those fish and right (laughs) it would be it would be lights it'd be lights out you know and people still kind of do it like some of the gear guys that have I don't know if you ever heard of side planers, but they have these things. They're like plastic uh, gear things that basically swim out in the middle of the river, and uh-huh. they keep your bait. They keep your bait right in the right in the line of where steelhead are migrating up. You know, so there's still, even Whoa. though you can't fish off a boat, there's some tools you can use to still get there. But yeah, I think it's more of a you know just the pressure that it shoots, and it was somebody. I, I should do a whole story on how that happened because it's really interesting. But I do believe that a lot of people do think it's a very important regulation that has kept the shoots what it is. 
And then there's a, I had heard something about like um, the guides, I guess there are all tribal members or something. Is that, is that how that works? Well, in the upper. Yeah. So the cool thing about the Deschutes is it has the, you know, there's a big tribal influence, especially in the upper river. So the Warm Springs reservation Mm -hmm. um, is in the uh, mid upper, upper part of the Deschutes. So they own a lot of land and there are certain sections that are tribal only. So you have to buy a tribal permit or, licensed to fish it that's crazy. or in some areas get a guide i think you can't even fish it without a guide so yeah you know like that like that middle section if you float it you can fish one side of the river is public the other oh. side is warm springs so you can't fish one side for a section of mileage that's crazy that's yeah. uh that's interesting so when do the steelhead come in on the deschutes so they come in i mean pretty much right now as we're talking it's uh you know it's august we're getting close to september i mean this is prime time typically prime time for steel. They, you can start earlier, you know, in the summer. So July, you can definitely catch steelhead even into June, some of those periods. And fish, summer seal, what makes them unique is they're, they're here for a lot longer in the freshwater than, say, a winter steelhead is, right? So those yeah. fish are coming out quick out of the ocean. They're getting ready to spawn, and, and they're just, boom, they're in it. And, and so for summer steelhead, they come in in, uh, you know, like we said, June, yeah. July, early summer, and then they're there all year long until the next year. Then they're getting ready to spawn. So these fish, you can catch them, you know, starting, like I said, June, July. It peaks right August, September, October is prime time, November, December. You know, as you turn around, you get in January, February, you start getting that period where they're starting to get ready and they've been in the river a long time. You probably don't want to be doing a lot of fishing for them. They're pro- you know what I mean? So yeah. it's more the peak times are really, I love, I, lo- I really love July, August, September, October, November. I mean, that's the prime for the Deschutes. And are those, fi- those fish are coming all the way from like, the columbia or they come in from the columbia yep. like that yep if you look at the columbia basin which is this massive river the size of i'm not even sure how it compares but you know five hundred thousand cfs or whatever it is it's just it's this crazy. big river and it's <laughs> yeah it's got all these big trips so right it's got these famous rivers the deschutes is a lower trip it's a you know river mile whatever that is i'm, I'm trying to think now hundreds of miles up to the columbia but it's still you got the deschutes you got all these rivers, the click and taps across there. If you go up the river higher, you get into the Clearwater in Idaho. You get into all these, yeah. you know, the upper Columbia where they're swinging flies in the upper basin above some of the big dams and things. So it's this big river that's got, you know, that's whatever it is, thousands of miles long with all this. But the Deschutes is a lower, kind of I consider it a lower uh, tributary. At least one, uh, it's one of the first ones when you hit the desert, you see the Deschutes flowing into the Columbia. When you're fishing for steelhead, are you swinging flies, or how do you how do you guys fish for for them in the Deschutes? Yep, yep. On the Deschutes, it's pretty much all a swing game. Uh-huh. So you know, basically twelve, thirteen foot rods, six, seven weight. You know, out there, really simple. You know, get a get a Scandi or a Skagit head. You know, a line that swings good on the surface, and you know, downstream and across, work the runs. You know, it's a really pretty simple way to fish. It's more about knowing where the fish are. Yeah, so that's the bigger part of it. Yeah, and but that, it is a swing game. And that's the name of your podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. Well, that's how the podcast started. So the okay. wet fly swing, I, I wanted to, um, I was kind of more like tradition, like old school, because you think about it, a lot of people, you don't talk about swinging flies for trout, right? It's just yeah. the second, you know, it's like the last method anybody thinks about. But I thought of it like I wanted to give a little tradition and, and throw back to my dad and everybody else. And, you know, wet fly swing is an old school way. But for steelhead, it's still... Uh, super, you know, people, anybody that swung up a steelhead on a fly on the surface will tell you it's a pretty amazing ex- experience. So for those that don't know, can you just kind of explain how you swing flies real quick? Because there's a lot of people that don't yeah. know what that is. 
Yeah, so, and you can do this for trout, you can do this for lots of species, um, but steelhead is one that it's well known, and actually in the Great Lakes, this trip we're setting up over to Lake Erie, we're actually doing, we're swinging flies there, which a lot of people didn't think you could swing flies for those steelhead for many years, but now it's obviously been proven you can swing up these, like in December, you can still swing fish on the fly, in those cold temperatures, they're still going to make, you know, take a movement to hit the fly. Um, but the cool thing about the shoots is, like I said, it's in the desert, so the water temperatures are warmer. Um, you know, you're sitting out there sometimes, it's going to be like 95 degrees. You're in your shorts swinging for these big, you know, giant awesome. steelhead. Yeah, so it's really cool. But So the water temperatures are warm. Because they're warmer, the fish are more active. So you don't have to get down on the bottom like you would for a winter steelhead. So there you do need to get down to their level because they're not moving as much. But these summer steelhead are so active that you could swing a fly and it'll go over the top of them, and they'll see it, and they'll come out of their, their holding spot down below and come up to hit it or even check it out, right, or bump it, tip it, tap it. Yeah. So what you do is you get your gear. So once you get your gear, like I said, you know, Skadger, Scandi line, you know, you get your spay rod, and you start, you find your water, and basically it's just downstream and across. So yeah. you, you find a spot where you think there's going to be fish, and you get your length of the line where you think you can cover the water, and you make a comfortable cast, and you cast out at a 45-degree down and across and let it swing. And you just hold on and keep your rod tip kind of pointed towards your fly. And as it swings down below you, you let it on the hang down for a second. And, you you know, sometimes you'll get a hit as your fly is hanging down below you. Mm-hmm. And you let it sit there a few seconds, maybe give it a little tug or kind of a pull just to see if a fish will take it. If not, you take a step or two downstream depending on how much water you're covering and how, you know, if you think you're in the bucket. Take the same exact cast, make it again swing it down, same thing, and you do that over and over and over again, you know, for sometimes for an hour or more <laughs> on a run. And if you get some feedback, which could be a fish tapping it or tipping it or maybe a hookup or maybe a, you had a fish on, then you found a bucket. And that's yeah. the cool thing about steelhead because once you find the bucket on a lot of these streams, you know that even though you're fishing a section that's maybe 100 yards long, you found one little bucket within that run to target. So next time you come down, I'm starting up above that run you know, that bucket mm-hmm. plenty of times. So I know I can swing right into it and I know where I hooked fish. And so that's, that's the name of the game is just you, you're, it's almost meditative. I think, like you said, you know, it's like you get in this zone where you're just, yeah. you're, that's the way I feel it. You know, you're not thinking about much else or maybe you are, but it's really when you get a fish that tips it or taps it, you're on it and you're like in that zone. And the flies you guys use, they're, they're usually like purples and pinks and stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, and is that, yeah. what, what is that all about? Yeah, so there's a mix of flies we use. So, you know, purples and pinks, I think, I mean, there's some of it is just they're, you know, they're remembering the salt, right? All those creatures and, sure. you know, critters they're eating in salt water while they're living. And especially for winter steelhead, right? If you're right along the coast and these fish are turned in, you're going to be using some really some pinks and all that stuff. But for colors in freshwater, they've been in the river longer. I mean, we're using stuff actually on the shoots that's a little more buggy-like than yeah. it is kind of big and giant i mean you can especially daytime i mean we had tom larimer on a while back and he talked about you know these flies they use during the daytime when the sun's on the water there's a whole discussion there we could talk about that when the sun's in their eyes and what you use but if you're fishing early morning when the sun's off the water or evening at least on the deschutes we use really small stuff like it almost looks like a trout fly Um, i mean it's a it's traditional steelhead so go look at say a green butt skunk or Mm -hmm. a um or a freight train or any of these famous traditional wet flies. Yeah. And that's what we're using. They're, they're wet flies for steelhead. They're basically size six, size eight, maybe even size 10 for the mm-hmm. most part. And they're really sparse. Okay. Like, you know, it's got a little body, a little hackle, a little wing. Other than that, 
you know, maybe a little flash, a couple strands of crystal flash. Other than that, it's like you don't want to be super gaudy, at least, mm-hmm. you know, fishing those times. You want to get small because those fish, they can see really well and they're trout, right? Because yeah. the steelhead is a, is a rainbow trout and they remember that, especially as they get into the freshwater. The longer they're in there, the more they, they become trout-like. Yeah. So are you guys, are you guys nymphing for them sometimes too, or maybe even throwing dries? Yeah, we don't. So on the, yeah, definitely dries. That's a big thing. Um, I bet. Yeah. You know, a lot of people do, uh, we don't do a lot of nymphing. I think the issues is one of those places it's just swinging is, is like the ultimate. So, I mean, occasionally you'll see some nymphers. I've nymphed a lot for winter steelhead on the coast and it works great. Yeah you know, with egg patterns and stuff or, you know, stone flies. But when I get to the Deschutes, it's all, it's all wet flies. And I don't do a lot of the dry fly stuff. I mean, I know there's some guys we've had on that, that that's all they do is dry flies on the surface Uh and it works. It's like anything though. It's going to take you more cast. You got to cover more water to get that one fish. And and I'm always more, a little bit more than numbers. I like to get a lot more fish on the swing. So when you guys are fishing, are you guys getting, you know, a lot of fish or is it just, you know, one fish or sometimes no fish? Because you hear yeah. you hear steelhead guys say, "Oh, it's a cast a it fish is. of a thousand casts or whatever." You know? It is. It is. It might even be. It might even be to ten thousand now because <laughs> the, run, the runs are so low. Yeah. Because we we have had a big a big downturn in the last few years with steelhead oh, really? around around the whole Pacific Rim, you know, all the way up, you know. But I think it's rebounding and they're on their way back. So yeah, it depends on the year. I mean, we definitely have had times where you would go out there and, you know I mean? You could easily hook five to 10 fish in one session in a morning, mm-hmm. you know, or evening. I think, I think, I think for steelhead, just in general, you know, if you get a fish, if you hook on a fish, you land a fish, you get an opportunity. I feel like that's pretty good. It's all expectations. You know what I mean? I think you talk to your guide or you talk to your shop and you ask them yeah. what they think. But for the most part for steelhead, if, if I get one fish in a session, I'm pretty happy. You okay. Know, and, and, but that's to say, I've also had lots of days where I've caught, you know, we've had trips where we've caught 50, you know, on, on a, on a trip, you know, on multi-day trips. So I understand people that are getting into it that are new that want to do the numbers. It's, um, it's tough. The numbers right now is tough just because the numbers are down, but you know, it is doable to catch more than one per session. Yeah. Some people probably go and expect they're going to catch a whole bunch and it's just not that, it's not that way, huh? No, it's not like trout. It's yeah. definitely not like trout. You don't just get in a spot and just start nailing fish left and right. It's really, you got to put your time in. If you don't know where the fish are, you know, it's just put your time in to find the fish first. And then once you find them, you know, you got to kind of find your spot. But, you know, that's why I always recommend, you know, you probably as well, right? The guiding is if you want to increase or whatever, decrease the learning curve. I mean, yeah. get a guide for at least a day. For sure. They'll take you to at least some water. They'll teach you. And that's what I always recommend. Absolutely. Okay, so tell me about starting your podcast and how that all went down. You know, I think you said yeah. it was like 2017 or something you started and, and yep. uh, you know, and kind of progress through like, you know, what happened and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So the podcast was, I mean, this amazing thing. I had been doing lots of stuff online, you know, in kind of the marketing space and just nothing was working that great. You know, uh-huh. And I wasn't really that passionate about it. And a good example is I started actually the Wet Fly Swing blog two years before the podcast. And, and I was trying to do some like blogging and marketing, right? And, uh-huh. I, you know, I just wasn't into it. I didn't love the writing. It wasn't great. And But I had been listening to these podcasts, all these business podcasts. And I loved listening to podcasts for years, even before that. Yeah. And in 2015, I just set a goal. I said, you know what? I'm going to start my own podcast in 27, you know, within two years. And I had no idea what it was going to be in. I just set that goal. And I said, I'm going to do it. And then, you know, come December 2017, 
it just all came together and I had set a plan up to start this wet fly swing podcast. And the cool thing was as soon as I launched it, I mean, literally like on day one, it was the first time ever online. Somebody reached out to me, some stranger and just said, Dave, this is awesome. Keep doing it. Awesome. You know what I mean? That's all you need. And so huh? right away, that's all I needed. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, that didn't happen in years of everything else. So I knew I had something. And by, after that, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to be consistent and do this every week for as long as I need to. And, uh, and I'm just going to see what happens. And, and we haven't missed a week since 2017. That's crazy. And, and people have no idea that that's actually a lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> it is <laughs> right. a lot for sure. And you have over, or you have like almost five hundred episodes. Yeah, we're we're gonna hit five hundred. Five hundred every every hundred episodes, I do a big episode, which is like a celebration episode to celebrate. And yeah. this one, I'm not even gonna announce who it is because it's so huge. The person that's coming on, but all awesome. I gotta say is catch five hundred because, as far as I'm concerned, this could be the president of the United States. That's how big it is. <laughs> awesome, man. So, so what gear did you start with and, and then, you know, what gear are you using now? Yeah. Love that. I love this. It's so great because it's, it's always the big question. Like, okay, you're starting a podcast, you know, right. it seems like so much, but really it's not. I mean, when I started, I can't remember exactly now I've got like my, tons of microphones, and all this equipment, but I mean, you can literally start with, I think I had a MacBook pro. Uh-huh. I had a microphone. I went out and bought a, I think it was the ATR, the, the, um, uh, the ATR 2100 from I'm trying to think of the, the brand, but the Samsung QTU is another great microphone we recommend. But it was that type of microphone. So basically, so $60 you uh-huh. can buy a professional microphone. So we got that, <laughs> the microphone plugged into the USB. And I think then we were doing it on, um, what were we using? I don't think we were using zoom. Maybe we were using, I can't remember the exact tech that we use, but I can talk about what we're doing now, which is really actually work a lot better but you know like you use the roadcaster pro is a great device it costs some money but if you want yeah. to spend some money i think the roadcaster pro is probably the best thing one of the best things you can buy for recording awesome but um but uh, yeah for now so now we've you know upgraded a little bit i use a device that i love to share with people if you really want to up your game it's just like the the roadcaster pro it's a a zoom PodTrack p4 so basically it does everything well almost everything the the podcaster um the road does, but it's portable. Literally, you can put it in your pocket. What's what's it called? It's called a Zoom Pod um, PodTrack P4. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so you go on so the road. If you're on the road, <laughs> exactly. And I'm going on the road right now. I'm leaving for a trip, and I'm bringing it with me in the suitcase. I'm going to have some mics so we can do some stuff on the road. But so that's what we do now. Um, I also record like we're doing this is a double ender so we're yeah. i'm recording this into my zoom so i'll give it to you so the audio will be great yeah um but um you know i think when i'm doing regular recordings i use um, this software and then i record into our host actually has a new program which lets us record uh, record which is shout out to Lipson. Lipson's our hosting company and they just do an awesome job so that's what we do now for actually getting our guests um audio so is this your full-time job now yeah, well, it's the full, yeah, I mean, it's, as far as revenue, I mean, yeah. we've, I've, I've got some other stuff going. We have um, another business kind of in the travel space. I have another, like, I do some website stuff as well, uh-huh. um, and I have another podcast. I have actually have two other podcasts I do. Do you? So, yeah, yeah, so I have, some, I have a marketing podcast I do, and then I have a, a family podcast I do, uh, which I interview family members. Oh, my so it's God. Kind of, yeah. You're busy, so man. I've, I've got a team. I've got four, I've got four editors that are just uh, basically – all doing editing right so that's that's what they do yeah 
Oh, that's so cool. So is your podcast like one of the largest in the country, do you think? Yeah, you know, it's hard to tell the exact numbers, but yeah. for sure, you know, when you look at Orvis, Tom Rosenbauer, I mean, he's been around since the beginning. I'm, yeah. I'm sure he's probably still the largest. And there's some other ones that are really big. But as far as the independent podcasts like we are, yeah, um, I think our, our numbers have put us, you know, definitely towards the top. Um, I don't have the exact number. It's hard to tell exactly. But yeah, we get about, you know, we get it. We're pretty close to like 100,000 downloads per month. That's you know, crazy, man. Do. That's so amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So why do you think your podcast is so successful? Uh, I think, uh, you know, the big reason is, and this is for anybody out there that wants yeah. to start a podcast, because at the time when we started, I felt like I was late to the game in 2017, uh -huh. you know, which we were. And I don't think somebody now is late to the game either. I think if you want to start a podcast in anything, for sure. start it. Yeah. And, you know, you build a community. But I think we've been consistent. You know, like I said, we haven't missed a week. That's very important. Um, our listeners, we just have been building this audience over the last five years and I've been asking them what they want to hear. I've been trying to engage with them as much as possible. Uh -huh. So I think that's a big part of it. And then also bringing on great guests, you know, yeah. you can't, you know, that's a big part of when I started out, I was trying to get the biggest guests I could. And even now, like I said, 500, there's going to be no guests we've had and we've had some big guests on, but I guarantee you 500 will be our biggest guest ever. So I'm still always trying to think like who else can we get like <laughs> Awesome. You know, I had, had the Fonz. I don't know how sure a guy how old you are, but we had the Henry Winkler on the Fonz. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Back. yeah. Yeah. So man. I'm always trying to reach out to that because I feel like it's just fun for me to do those. So I don't stick with just tips and tricks, although I think a lot of our listeners love that. But again, I always think of our listeners. Start there first. If you serve your listener, I think you're going to be successful. How do you prepare for each podcast? Do you like really research your, your, your person right. you're going to interview or how do you do, how do, you do that? That's something, again, I'm always evolving this stuff, always tweaking it. But right now, I don't do – I do enough just to get ready because I actually love being surprised a little bit on the podcast. Sure. So what I do is typically the typical flow is I'll have a guest. You know, I know they're coming. I will say, okay, I'm going to make sure to do a little research, whether that's social media, you know, do some Googling, get some, you know, high-level top topics. Then I try to have an arc for the show. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like it was you, like I, you know, when you had yours, it was episode three, um, three twenty-five. Yeah. So when we had you on back in, um, back in, yeah, May, it went live in May 22, yeah. you know, the title for that episode was Kern River Fly Fishing with Guy Jeans. And I had, you know, the Squala Hatch Goldens, right? So yeah. I try to always have an arc for the show. For, for you, it was not only get to know you and your background is amazing too. I mean, the, you know, the band and everything. I mean, you have <laughs> this really cool thing going. Um, and it's great music too, by the way. But, Thanks, um, buddy. But I Kern River, so that was the arc of that show. I was like, all right, if we do nothing else, I'm going to have some, well, at least one listener is going to hear this episode and is going to get some value on how to fish the Kern River. Sure. And that's that's where I started that. And then I just let it flow. I don't like to, I think on any podcast, I think the most important thing is to keep it conversational. So I don't I don't have set questions to say, hey, here's 10 questions I want to ask. It's more like, I know it's Guy, I know it's the Kern River, and I'm just going to let my curiosity flow because on my marketing podcast uh, a couple years ago, I asked the guy who pretty much invented podcasting, you know, did all the NPR podcasts back in the day. And I asked him what was the number one thing that makes a podcaster successful. And he said, curiosity, Yeah, right? Curiosity is the number, as long as you're curious about your topic, you're going to have a, a good show. And so that's, that's the message I think for, you know, for anybody is that I'm always curious, like the Kern River, I've never fished it, but I definitely want to get down there. And, and so that's why that's how I go about it. Right on. <laughs> Who's been some of your like favorite guests over the years? Like, do you have oh, a, do you have a top top three? 
God, I wish I could. Who would be? Well, it's just still off the. I guess I'll go to those hundred episodes because that makes it easy. Um, so you know, Joan Wolf was okay. was huge. You know, Joan Wolf just because you sweet know, again, lady, huh? Yeah, very yeah. sweet. She was awesome. I think it's just some of the older, you know, because it's just these people. I mean, I think Henry Winkler because it just because I mean he's a famous movie star, and it's just right. it was a really cool story. I mean, on that episode, I asked him. I said, Henry. After we got into it, you know, ways we said, and we did this on Zoom too, so we were looking face to face as we did this. <laughs> I said, I said, Henry, so you love fly fishing, you know, you do all this stuff. Why not just retire from all your stuff and just and just go fly fishing every day? And he said, he said, he said, the reason I don't do that is that right now I'm at the top of my game. Why would I quit right now? Right, Barry, he just won an Emmy a couple of years ago for Barry. He says, oh, yeah. like, I, right? He's like, I'm at the very, I'm 70 whatever years old, but I'm I'm at the very top, and there's no way I'm retiring right now. I love what I do. Yeah, right. What a, so, what a career cool. that guy's had, man. Yeah, yeah. He said, I think I'll have to listen to it again, but I think he said during the peak of his happy days, days, you know, he received yeah. I think something like 500, maybe it was a hundred thousand letters per week. Yeah, Batman. I remember I was probably like. Oh man, I must've been like seven or eight years old. And I saw him at the LA airport and I actually, went oh, yeah. up, I went up and asked him for an autograph and he was so oh, cool. cool. He's so cool <laughs> to me, man. And He's a cool guy. If I ever, yeah. if I ever interview him, I'm going to tell him about that. <laughs> yeah, you should. Not. Well, he said that too. Yeah, he's very, he's very humble and he loves fishing. And uh, yeah. so I think Henry was big. Um, I mean, I had um, Frank Moore is a big steelhead. You mentioned the Umqua, the North Umqua. He's yeah. a famous angler in the North Umqua. He actually passed away recently, but that was, I did that in person, which was really amazing. Shook his hand. Oh, cool. That was cool. Um, gosh, who else? Joe, Joe Humphreys was really cool. Oh, I think yeah. I always look at the old guy. Yeah. Joe Humphreys, but I mean, everybody, I just name off so many of these amazing episodes, but I, I kind of start there because I feel like I always love to pay tribute to the people that paved the way before us. I think all those older folks, you know, we, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. You know, uh, Joe came into my fly shop, uh, oh, wow. probably like, I don't know, five years ago. And it was, it was kind of raining outside and he came in, you know, and I, I had met him before in Pennsylvania, but he came in and he, he was just so cool. And then, mm. um, he, he borrowed some waiters and then I took him, I took him like him and his buddy to a spot on the Kern. And, um, they went fishing, you know, I go, yeah, fish here, you guys, you know, check it out. Then <laughs> he comes back in the afternoon and he has a picture of this giant Sacramento pike minnow. <laughs> no way. Like, and he's like, what is this thing? <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> he had never seen one before, you know, and he's giant like, mouth. yeah. Giant and he's like, is this kind of a fish that you guys catch here? I'm like, well, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're native to the Kern and He's all, that was a blast. I thought it was a giant brown trout and I brought it in. I'm like, what is this thing? That is cool. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And then we, then he sat down in a chair and um, busted out a bottle of brandy and said, let's, let's have a drink. No way. Yeah. Oh, that is so good. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Oh man. I love that guy. You know what? He's got that story that all the wrestling, like he could probably beat you down. He's 95. He could probably still beat down most guys, right? He's oh, that for tough. sure. For sure. So what, have you ever had any like difficult podcast where you're just like oh my god you know pulling teeth kind of a thing like <laughs> yes i have i have i've had a few of those i i've had i don't think i've ever um not released an episode but i found that 
there's been a few, not many, because I, I mean, usually you just get people talking and they can just go, but yeah, I have had a few, I can't remember the, the numbers or whatever, but the thing I remember the tip for anybody that gets runs into that is that whenever I run into somebody, I always feel like if I'm getting bored on the conversation, you know, it's like right now, if you're getting bored, you know, it's time to switch up the, <laughs> yeah. the, the topic. And I always find that when I'm doing that, if I'm getting bored listening to the guest, time to switch it. So I'll just like straight up, just switch it to some random topic that's on my, that's on my mind and that'll help yeah. us get out of the funk. Yeah, and then yeah. once we're out of the funk, now we're off to a different topic. Who knows what it's about? Maybe it's about cats or something. Yeah. And then and then he's talking again, or that person's talking again, and now yeah. we can kind of keep it flowing. So that's that. I've had a few of those over the years. So do you you probably have, uh, over the years like you feel like you've gotten a lot better, huh? I mean, like oh, from yeah. when you first started to you know now and you know creating conversation. You know, a lot of people yeah. don't realize that it's not easy unless you you have the gift to gab but you know you know keeping it keeping it real and keeping the conversation going you know that's not easy to do no no it's not yeah i don't know what the what the secret is there there's probably i mean i think i have that secret of the energy thing i always ask all right occasionally ask people like hey at the end of the day after you've talked to people all day long, say you've done podcasts all day long, are you drained or do you have, or do you have more energy? And at the end of the day, I actually have more energy. Me too. There you go. So we're the same. Yeah. It feels, it's like a high almost. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you love it. So you're a good, I mean, that's why your podcast is successful, right? I mean, because you love it. That's first off, you love the podcasting. You love talking to people. You love fishing. So it's the perfect fit. I mean, I can see why your podcast, you know what I mean? Like you're loving it because it's, it's great. Yeah. If you could give any advice to someone starting out on a podcast, what advice would you give them? Oh, what is the best advice? Um, well, I said one of them, you know, the first thing would be, be curious, you know, don't yeah. forget about that and don't, yep. and I said, I guess I've said most of these, but don't plan everything out. You know, don't, I mean, it's okay to script it. Like I actually have questions when I'm doing these. I usually sure. set aside some questions just in case, because if I get stuck, I want to be able to go to those questions and, you know, and prepare. It's yeah. good to prepare. You don't want to come into episode not knowing your guests at all. So definitely preparation is good. Um, but when you get into it, my best advice, you know, once you get started, again, we're going past all the technical and all the gear and stuff. But yeah. once you're actually doing the interview, the best thing is, like I said, think of it as a conversation and just sit there. Just tell your guests, hey, we're it's like we're at a bar or we're at a coffee shop just chatting about fishing. Yeah. You know, like that's it. If you think of it that way. It, mm-hmm. it sets your guest. It sets your guest. First of all, your guests. A lot of times they don't know. They're like, "Oh man, are we getting drilled? What's this going to be like?" You know, you <laughs> got to set up for them. You right to let them know, like, "Hey, this is just a conversation." Then I always say, "Hey, yeah. we also edit these in post production. So if there's anything that you say that you want taken out, like I can do that. Like let yeah. them know. You got to let them know that this, we're not trying to. You know what I mean? You can imagine all with, in this day and age with all the politics and stuff. People are right, right. You know, worried, right? But I am. Definitely, you know, again, that's another advice, right? It's like guiding. Don't talk about politics or religion, you know, the yeah. two things you don't talk about. Exactly. So I think same thing on the podcast. I don't get into all that stuff. For mm-hmm. me, it's about the guest. I want to highlight our guests and make them just tell their story and show show everybody how cool they are. And as far as politics, I mean, I really think that it doesn't really matter because, like, especially in our space, everybody just loves fly fishing. Yeah. And you could be whatever, wherever you're at, and it doesn't even matter. We're just we're chatting about fishing. So all these interviews you've done, you've you've found out about all these different places right to to go fishing and stuff and so it's kind of like your podcast has also evolved into like a like you're doing travel stuff yep. or something is that right yeah what's that all about yeah yeah it's been it's amazing next step i feel like this is the next big stage of where we're at and so That's cool we had this podcast you know 2017 we launched it and 
2018, you know, going strong, 2019, getting into it. And then I just started realizing, man, I mean, travel, like I want to get out and check out these places. And sure. I, you know, just started thinking about how do we do this? And it's evolved now into the last few years where we've basically created a travel program. And this is what we call, this is our school of fishing, right? And so we're, and we're taking the next step on that too, launching a new website. But essentially what we do is we do these trips around the country. We're starting out basically in North America now, trying to really hit on those places close to home that people of our listeners can hit, drive to, things like that. So we're setting up trips from, what I do is reach out to some of our best guests we've had on, and we ask them, hey, would you like to set up a hosted program where we bring listeners out and then we go fishing with you? And you set up the guides and then we set up a lodging and and that's what we do. So we're kind of setting up our own travel program. So it's not like we're necessarily going, yeah. So we're not really going to, it's not like we're going to all these giant lodges in Alaska, although we will. Um, right now, we're really setting up these things which are more like Airbnbs, getting chefs, and we're getting setting up our own program. So it's this kind of unique hybrid approach so that it allows us to do a trip that doesn't cost $6,000. It's a more reasonable school yeah. where you can go for a few days, you know, still get all the um, guiding and what you get at these bigger trips, but with not the price tag. So we're finding it's been really successful. People are loving it. Um, you know, and I always thought like, wow, could I do a hosted program? And right now we're just, we're kind of building that out and it's working great. I had Brian O'Keefe on my podcast, right? And I asked him this question, you know, he's honestly like one of the most well-traveled fly anglers in the world, you know? Um, I mean, he's been everywhere and I asked him and you'll be surprised at his answer, but I asked him, I go, if you had one last place to, to go fishing, where would it be? Let me answer it for you. Let yeah. me answer it for you. Uh-huh. The answer would be, well, it's one of two because I know he just moved recently, but he would say smallmouth bass fishing. <laughs> exactly. Dude. Yeah. He said the boundary waters. The uh, boundary waters, yeah, which is, is where he is now. Yeah. Yeah. And he said the boundary waters in, around Minnesota. And I'm like, no way. Because I'm like, I love smallmouth. Yeah. And um, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe that. I was like, really, yeah. man? All the places I you've know. been. It's pretty crazy. What about you, man? What would yeah. be your your favorite place oh, to go. Well, if you I, had one last place to go, yeah, where would you I'm, go? I'm a little bit the opposite. And again, the, the difference <laughs> is that you're talking to Jeff Courier, who's already got 400 species. Yeah, yeah, belt. right, right, right. Right, so me, I'm not even close. I will never be at Jeff Courier's yeah. level, nor, nor will probably any, most, all of us. But I want to go, I mean, I want to go to like the most exotic place. Yeah. You know? Like I want to go, I want to go everywhere, but if I had to pick one, yeah, you know, it's so hard because you know, like Africa would be amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Some you name the species, uh, the Seychelles would be amazing, right? Um, you know, any of South America, any of you know, all of the, I mean, so I've got a lot to do. I've got a, <laughs> I've got a big to do list. Yeah, um, but I guess to start out easy, the next one I really want to do is probably Atlantic salmon. That's ah. something I haven't done yet. And Atlantic salmon, probably the realistic one for me right now is Atlantic salmon. And I would really like to get them. Again, we got all these issues with populations yeah. and, you know, and that's one that is pretty spendy if you go to Norway, but there are some places on the East coast of North America that you can get to at a reasonable cost. So that's, that might be our next uh, school we set up. We'll see. Ooh, that sounds fun, man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. So if listeners want to listen to your podcast and, and all that stuff and find all your information, where do they go? Yeah, so they can go to wetflyswing.com right now and, uh, you know, either there or, yeah, I mean, we have our school program, which the website is just getting, it'll probably be live when this goes live, but the schoolfishing.co is our school program, so if they want to check out the trips, but yeah, I always recommend just go to the podcast, we've got a ton of information, you can search 
any topic, we also have a transcript um, player at the bottom. So you can literally search the transcript player and, and it'll search the keyword and it'll bring you to the exact location in the podcast so you can listen to it. So we got some couple so cool. of good, good resources. Wow. Cool, man. Well, Dave, you are totally an inspiration to me, man. And, uh, it's, I, I love listening to your podcast. I'm a fan. Learned, nice. so, I learned so much, uh, from your podcast and I know so many people do. And so it's been, uh, it's been an honor to have you on my podcast, man. Love it, guy. guy thanks for uh, putting this together and I'm going to keep up with you as well. And I want to know one question for you before we get out of here. Yeah, man. Where, where's your next event? Are you, uh, with your music? I know you've got ah. the music on. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm playing all over the place. Um, but I'm, my next kind of shows are in this, uh, little, uh, surf town called Ventura. And oh, yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm doing some shows out there. Um, you know, uh, a lot, like I'm playing out there once or twice a, a month now with my little ska band. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I love it, man. Ska. That's what we talked about last time, the ska. So well, yeah. this is great. So I'm going yeah. to follow up with you. We're, next yeah. time we're down South, I'm going to be hitting you up on your, on the road. For sure, man. That'd be awesome. We could go uh, fish the surf too, you know, uh, oh, yeah. over there and catch some yeah, more beer, you know, let's do that. Right on, man. Well, Dave, we'll talk soon, huh? All right. Thanks again, man. See ya. All right, buddy. Bye-bye. It's a guy jeans podcast.